Hello and welcome to the E equals MC squared of running. I'm Maggie Cooper and this podcast is about running and usually a little bit of science. Now, um, this week for me has been a bit, a bit strange. Um, I, I don't know, I think I mentioned in the last episode that I'd kind of hurt this bit behind my legs, so some little tendon behind your, your knee. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it is. Probably probably ought to know, probably ought to find out. But I, I sort of twanged it before and it's been kind of okay. But uh, it does seem to be um, slightly worse than it has been previously. Um, but the thing is, I've been trying to do this um, run every day, um, run at least one kilometre every day. And I've, I've, I've run every day this year and it's kind of a, like a New Year's resolution. So I was keen to kind of keep with that. And kind of also, although this wasn't really a resolution, I've been trying to achieve 30 kilometres a, a week. Um, and I'd got consistently, I think for the last five weeks, I've done 30 kilometres. So I felt really, really pleased about that. And I didn't really want to let that go either. So um, I had this kind of like, should I run or shouldn't I run? Uh, is And I was kind of balancing also the distance I ran with you know, how, how sort of this pain behind my knee was. It actually kind of started and ended up affecting the whole of my knee. And I'm, I'm not really sure why that was. Um, anyway, it's kind of okay. It, the long and short of it is kind of okay. And I... Um, and I and I did kind of um, I did get the fit 30k in, which I was really really pleased about. And it does the knee seems to be getting better. But I, I was thinking, you know, if I had been um, well, I, I'm not saying I'm not a proper athlete, but I'm not really training for something specific at the moment. I just um, wanted to run. So I think if I had been training for something specific, or I'd got some races or whatever in, in mind, or, um, or, or whatever, I've, I've just got nothing that I that I'm planning for. Um, I wonder whether I would have taken some time off and rested. Um, that you know, that probably would have been the best thing to do. Um, but the problem is, if you take time off, then when you come back, you've got to get your fitness back again, and you have to balance those two things, don't you? Whether you've got um, the, the time off, which may, may allow the thing to recover, and um, whether that's going to actually affect your kind of overall um, training and, and fitness levels. So um, yeah, in my, in my case, I just kind of run through it, uh, which is which is fine for what I'm trying to do or trying to achieve. But if you're training for a marathon or something like that, then it may be um, a different story. So I was interested when I came across this article in the Frontiers in Sports uh, and Active Living, and it's um, called "Estimating the Cost of Training Disruptions on Marathon Performance." And they were looking at exactly that thing. They were looking at what what happened if you had um, a disruption. Specifically, they were looking to see if you if you had a disruption of more than seven days in your training for the marathon. Uh, you know what effect did that have on your um, overall time? And the way that they worked out whether that had an effect on overall time was that they looked at people who had run two marathons over a three year period from twenty fourteen to twenty seventeen. And they looked at um, whether, you know, they, 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 they obviously almost everybody's going to have some sort of disruption. It might even be a planned disruption. It might be like um, I'm going to away for the weekend and I can't train for three days. So you might have a short short break. Um, but um, when you when you see a break of like more than seven days and you know there's something up, there's some sort of illness or there's some sort of injury or something like that. So they looked at the differences between those people who had had a sort of um, less, than seven, um, less than seven days breaks and those who had uh, more than seven days or actually the same people but in two different marathons so um 
they actually studied um they, they, I, I, when i read it i was like where did they get the data data from when i sort of read, read the abstract but when i, I like went through to the, the methods um they did what i what i thought they probably did which was look at strava data and they looked at 15 million activities from 300,000 uh, recreational runners who completed marathons um say during 2014 to 2017 and um they um they basically decided that that they would look at uh, the 16 weeks of training before um, the marathon. Now, you know, uh, a training block of, say, 12 to 16 weeks is kind of pretty standard. I used to train with um, Brian Smith and his wife, Joy Smith. She um, she won the London Marathon, I think, twice. Also won other marathons, I think, Tokyo, other, other things she competed in the Barcelona Olympics, I think she came eleventh. So she she was a pretty um, a good marathon runner, and 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 um, he gave I get think he gave me an excerpt from a book she'd written or some something with the tr- about the training that she did, and in that certainly it was a similar length of time um, build up. So um, anyway, that that's kind of considered a pretty standard um, starting with you know. Relatively um, straightforward, um, uh, lower mileage, and, and sort of building up your mileage, certainly building up long runs, that type of thing, and incorporating incorporating different training within those those sixteen weeks. So they looked at that sixteen week period um, before the marathon, where runners experienced uh, a complete cessation of training, um, so training disruption, um, and um, they you know for like, essentially for for more than um seven days, so they identified runners who had completed multiple marathons, including one at least one disrupted marathon with a long training disruption of greater than seven days, and two at least one undisrupted marathon with no training disruptions and then they calculated the performance cost of long training disruptions as a percentage difference between those these disrupted and undisrupted marathon times comparing the frequency and the cost of train disruptions according to the sex age and ability of the runner and whether the disruptions occurred early or late in training so they basically looked at several different factors across that so um they said that more than half of the runners experienced short training disruptions um up to and including six days so i guess that, that that's um, well, actually i'm i'm surprised it's not more than that uh, i really am because um you know i, I just think it's very it's almost <laughs> never that things go quite um, as as well you always have some sort of cough or cold or um uh, some little strain or something when you're doing a marathon but train but anyway that, that that that's quite interesting uh, but the longer disruptions were found to be um, increasingly less frequent among those who made it to race day. So um, I guess that some people may have had a longer disruption than they may be in planning to run a marathon, but they didn't um, They didn't go through because maybe they felt they weren't um, fit enough to run the marathon um, at the, t- the target date. Uh, runners who experience longer training disruptions of greater than seven days suffer a finish time cost of 5 to 8% compared to when the same runners experienced only short training disruptions that's like less than seven days so that's five five they lost five to eight percent of their time so i mean these are they said they were recreational runners but let's just say um even the recreational runner maybe they can run um three hours or maybe three hours 20 let's say three hours 20 because three hours 20 is easy it's like 200 minutes it's quite easy to work out the maths then so um if they had 5%, then that's 10 minutes, 10 minutes extra 
that they're running, um, 10 to 16 minutes, presumably, 8%. So to, to me, that, that kind of sounds like quite a significant amount of time, yeah. Um, I mean, if, if yeah, well, I suppose it depends how, how fast you run it, but it's, it's a lot of time. You know, it could be 20 minutes, it could be, it could be quite, quite a significant chunk of time. So the other thing that they kind of looked at was um, they looked at w- at what point in the in the training that this um, disruption occurred, and I guess it's not surprising they found that if the disruption occurred nearer to the race time, then it was m- even a bigger difference um, in in the co- sort of the cost, the time cost. It could have been uh, ten to even fifteen percent, but if the disruption occurred early in the training phase, then it was um, far less of a, a problem. And, and yeah, I guess that makes sense. I mean, you, you could be ca- carrying some sort of injury or illness or whatever into, into the race. Um, and, and I guess there probably was uh, uh, the people who maybe had got to that point and then didn't actually run the marathon because they realized that they weren't really up to it. Uh, the other the other thing that they looked at was things like um, whether uh, the sort of age or ability or anything like that had an effect. They, they did find that um, there was a greater time cost for men compared with women. So if men ha- had um, this greater than seven day um, break, then they, they had a greater time uh, cost effect than um, for women. Uh, what else? Um, oh, yeah, no, actually, the 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 the, the um, faster runners actually also had a um, a higher time cost than than the uh, than the slower runners. I, I guess again that that may be kind of sort of intuitively you would think you might think that that would be the case anyway. So uh, yeah, I thought that that was um, that was that was kind of an uh, interesting thing. So um by um but by doing this um sort of study I can can guess you can kind of help people to work out um uh, the cost of them having like this longer longer than a week break essentially is it is it going to have a big impact on your final time and I guess the results of the study for me, I I think yeah it does. It's it clearly is having an impact on the on the running. I think that um the it was basically between one and two weeks that that's what the, the sort of time frame that they they were looking at for that break, and that starts to become significant. Uh, starts to really be a difference compared with um it's less than less than seven days, um where maybe there's there's not it's not such a such a problem, but. It, I guess they didn't. I, it may be more, much more difficult for them to work out, you know, the effect of like a two or three days off. Um, but um, you can see that certainly, as you have this longer break, it's definitely having effect on your on your running. And if you're going to run a marathon, that's a massive commitment. So I kind of wonder whether if you've had um, greater than seven days of um, off from your training, and if you're trying to achieve a goal, particularly a time goal. On your marathon, I guess everybody's got different reasons for running the marathon. But if yours is a time goal, then I would say I would reevaluate, and I would say um, in that case I don't want to run that marathon. And I was thinking about my own situation. Uh, the first marathon I ran, I was supposed to be running in the London Marathon, and I was quite fit for the for it. I felt I was very well trained, and then I woke up on the weekend of, of the marathon, and 
I just, I just, I've got kind of some sort of virus, uh, you know, just, I was like, there's no way I can run. I'm just not well. Um, and, uh, so I looked for another marathon and I have to say, <clears throat> I don't, I wouldn't advise doing what I did, which was, I, I basically chose a marathon that was three weeks after that. And I, um, I ran in Belfast, yeah, three weeks l- later. Um, and I ran, it was a lot of complicated story because there was actually um, a diversion on the route because the IRA had planted a bomb on the route. So I ended up running an extra mile. So my actual finish time was something like 3.12 or something like that. I was aiming for three hours, but I actually ran like say 27 whatever miles. And certainly the last mile, it was just like so hard. I was like absolutely shattered by then. There's no way um, I would want to <laughs> run an extra mile at the end of the marathon. I certainly uh, was very slow, but I reckoned that my marathon time was about 3.04 that day. Um, and I think, you know, well, I had not been well, um, it was quite close to the race, Maybe actually that for me lost me ten minutes. Maybe I would have been able to achieve my three-hour goal, which I you know, certainly was aiming for, had I not been sick. But you know, I guess there's ifs and buts, and you know, it, it, and it's not. I, I get. I, I don't know. I just think maybe that that was that's just un- unlucky. If I had then um, said, okay, I'm not going to run that marathon. I'm going to start training again from sort of scratch or whatever. Do a ten-week build-up from then or whatever. Then maybe um i could have got that time but the other circumstances of life would probably have um made that um impractical or impossible so um maybe you should just need to seize the opportunities that you that you have and, and be satisfied with with that i'm i'm you know relatively satisfied with the, the, my achievement but um a kind of part of me is a little bit frustrated that i wasn't able to achieve the the sub 3 hour that i had been aiming for so I guess everybody's going to be different, but I, um, I think the take-home message from this is that uh, a break of more than a week actually does have an effect on your finishing time. And regardless of who you are, how good you are, um, it seems to actually have a, an impact in in the range of, say, like five 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 percent of your time. So I think that that is worth um, bearing in mind, especially if you're kind of going for a specific time. Well, um, yeah, that's uh, that's all I got. I thought I thought it was interesting. Um, I, I love the, love the way they picked the stuff out of um, Strava for it, and I just made, it made me think uh, there must be other stuff that you could get out of that data. You know, I, I'm interested, like, to know, you know what's the best um, sort of training to do for the marathon. Could could you work it out from that? I guess it's kind of difficult because people will probably train the same for two different marathons. It's unlikely somebody sort of say, well, I'm going to just choose a completely different training regime for uh, my second marathon compared to the first marathon. I mean, they might do, but um, uh, but that would that kind of be interesting. It would be interesting to see, like, uh, if people ran, say, like one of the coaches I had, he said, um, I think you should run at least five 20-mile um, um, long runs during the uh, build-up. Um, and uh, whereas other people would be, 20 miles would be the furthest they, they would run, and they'd only run that once. So, um, you know, is there a difference in the different training um, training models, I guess, um, for, for, for the marathon? I, I guess you could probably pick up that data from there. Anyway, so that's sort of, that's really all I've I've got to say. Um, and I, I found that paper interesting, and you can find it, say, in um, the Frontiers or in Sports and Active Living, and it was published on tenth of January, twenty twenty three. Okay, um, thank you for for listening, and I hope you'll join me again uh, next week for another episode of the E equals MC squared of running. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.